You're very welcome to this week's episode of FNI Rap Chat on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Uh, with very special thanks to our sponsors, Film Equipment Ireland. Um, yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, uh, we have a lot of uh, episodes coming out this this kind of fortnight with Diff and everything. And uh, this one we wanted to get out before the release of uh, Calm With Horses. Um, I was able to have a phone chat with the director, Nick Rowland. And uh, it was a brilliant chat. And uh, I really love the film. It's in a good few cinemas around the country. Uh, so check it out. Uh, release on the 13th of March. And it's uh, really, really... I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a, a kind of quite remarkable debut feature from Nick Rowland. And uh, incredible cast. Just uh, brilliant. Um, with Neve Algar, uh, Cosmo Jarvis, Barry Keoghan, um, Ned Donaghy, uh, David Wilmot. Just, yeah, stellar. Absolutely stellar. And uh, just created a, a brilliant world. You know, a very immersive kind of a film. Um, yeah, just go see it. So yeah, that's uh, I'll get out of the way and we'll go to that conversation. So I'm joined by Nick Rowland, is that I'm saying that right? Yes. Great. Yes. Uh, and you're, are you in London at the moment? Yeah, I'm in uh, in London at the moment. Looking forward to coming out to Dublin next week. Ah, brilliant. Cool. Uh, so, um, yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I got to see the film this week and uh, I really loved it. So congrats. It's a great piece oh, of work. Thank you. thank you very much. Um, so I, I've also, this week, I've been looking at your shorts and uh, I'd love to maybe start there and kind of just look at how you progressed and made then um the jump to your first feature so um your shorts did incredibly well for you so um i think was which what was your first short or the first one that did particularly well for you um i guess the first um i made a, a short film called slap which was um nominated for a bafta um about five years ago um that was um a student short that i made and i guess that was that was probably the first one that um kind of led to me getting an agent and um uh you know i guess that's probably the, the one that sort of led to my first professional work as a director so you were fresh out of out of film school and straight straight in to get an agent that's pretty pretty unusual yeah was that, so it was so i was at, um originally i went to well I, up until the age of about 21, I was doing a lot of rally driving. I was actually not interested in film at all. Ah. Um, so I kind of went, I was doing, and then I, around 20, uh, 19, 20, something like that, I started thinking about filmmaking. So I did a three year university course at Bournemouth Film School. Um, okay. And then, and then I went to the National Film School in London. Um, and I made three, three shorts and slap um, was actually the, the short film I made in my first year yeah. and then I made I made um, a couple more after that but yeah I was able to sort of line up an agent and, and things like that while I was at, at the school and um, 
and that allowed me to sort of hit the ground running thankfully cool um it was an out of sight that was your next yeah so i did out of sight and um and that uh that was like a sort of psychological horror short that played at a sundance film festival yeah. and it was kind of interesting because the it was um, an exercise at school where they said um you know go out and make a film that you'd never normally choose to make or you know do something experimental so i thought well I've never really thought about doing a horror film before, so I'll have a go at that. Yeah, and it, en- it ends up, you know, being at Sundance, which was the f- my first sort of big American festival to be in, and all of a sudden, everyone thought I was the horror guy, and that <laughs> I was, uh, you know, that I was this sort of horror nut. Which, um, you know, I-, I would like to do a horror film. I actually had a really good time yeah. making that short because it's such a, you know, you- you're sort of uh, let loose in-, in in that genre. So, and um, it's a real example of. Uh, limitations becoming advantages it's it's one of those kind of chamber one location or pretty much one location um and the 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 editing is incredible did you spend a long time in the edit yeah it was yeah so i think the whole short cost maybe two thousand pounds to make or something like that and we yeah one location two two main actors a couple of smaller roles in there as well um and um as you say, your limitations, um, you try and turn them into, you know, turn them into creative solutions as well. So we, the, the, we, for example, we found this, um, this, uh, this house to film in because it was empty and it was sort of nearby our film school, yeah. but we needed it, you know, as it was a horror sort of horror story, we needed it to feel intimidating, but all the, all of the walls were bright white and it felt very friendly. So right. that kind of led that led to the decision um, to kind of shoot it in black and white and use shadows to to kind of um, create the the tone and feel of the of the story. So because um, ah, it reminded me a little bit of kind of early Polanski. Was that an influence? Um, I mean, not not necessarily, but mm. I mean, I'll definitely take the <laughs> take the comfort. <laughs> um, I was thinking, looking at things like Razorhead. And, yeah. And, um, and really, I mean, it was just, um, I, I really admire, um, uh, a lot of, you know, especially Danny Boyle's early, earlier work, yeah. you know, so it's really uh, visceral and, um, um, emotional. So I, we tried to, we tried to make us a, a horror story that was kind of subjective and, and, um, um feelings based i guess okay um and would you yeah would you have say advice for filmmakers who you know you genuinely when you're starting out you don't have a whole lot of resources how do you is how do you kind of capitalize on the the few resources that you do have i think um i think when you don't when you're i mean it's the same you know, with, with, you know, making a, a low budget short or a student short or, um, or, a, you know, as I discovered making a, a sort of debut feature film. Um, I think when you're, when you don't have money to throw at things, it's important to be really sensitive and aware of what's around you that you can use to your advantage. And it, I think it's, it's always good to be light on your feet and adaptable, um, in that sense. Um, and it's the same with, you know, with with working with actors. It's about responding to what's happening in front of you, rather than 
I tried not to have too much of a fixed idea in my head of exactly how everything should be because then you you limit your your options and the possibilities that you might not see in front of you. Um, that's great. Um, and so your next film then, Group B, uh, so you mentioned that you were into rally driving because when I was watching it, I was like, someone involved here really knows the world. Um, so maybe talk about how you were able to take your your real life experience and then create uh, a film out of that yeah so so yeah group b was my graduation uh piece from films from the national film school and um it was the last short um that i made and um i was trying to at the time i was trying to you know when it comes to your graduation film you want it to be um you know you want it to have the impact the best chance of sort of setting setting up for a a career and all that kind of stuff and i i made the mis i made the mistake of um what you know watching all of my favorite short films and thinking how can i copy them or how can i how can i basically make that film again right. which is never never a good um way to go and i wasted a lot of time uh learning that lesson right. i guess and then so then i sort of took a step back and thought well what what is the story that that uh, what's a unique story that probably i'm better um suited to tell than other people and i thought well i guess i used to be a rally driver and um there's never really been a story that explores that world i mean there have been lots of motorsport films before obviously but never Mm -hmm. specifically rally driving um and it felt like it 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 would be a short film that would display the type of filmmaker that i am you know like i say I, i like things to be quite visceral yeah um and i like i like a sort of a fixed point of view to a story um but also there's a you know so you have the visceral elements of rally driving and you also have a very heightened emotional relationship between um uh, a driver and a, a navigator in the car and i thought um that's that's the different you know that's what's interesting about rallying is that the, the you have this relationship where yeah. you have these people putting their lives in each other's hands it's not just the driver in a car by himself he's responsible for a passenger as he's taking these risks so i thought it was a kind of um uh, a quite a rich world to um dramatize uh, it's an amazing short film um did you find that there was a big jump say from your previous much kind of lower budget that seemed like because you have you've got um, quite a high profile cast you've got uh, cars and uh, you managed it all very cleverly but was it a big jump up it was I mean budget wise it was um, you know if you look at something like Slap uh, that was maybe I think the budget was £4,000 um, we're talking in, in terms of you know the world of student filmmaking mm. here though so you know we got all our equipment for free and yeah. you know it's all student crews that are working for, for nothing so but in terms of yeah, of actual production budget, I think you know, slap was four, um, out of sight was two, yeah. and then uh, and then group B was maybe fourteen thousand. Okay. So gives us a little bit more to play with. But yeah. nice to be honest, yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of that went on insurance for actors and insurance for these cars and and you know accommodation and food and things like this. So mm. actually, um, you know, because we had to travel out to um, to Wales to film it. Um, that we, I think we got a lot of production value um, because I was able to pull in a lot of favours from um, my old life as a 
as a rally driver. So right. um, uh, the David Higgins, who was my mentor, he did all the stunt driving, and um, we were able to use his forest to, you know, to film the sequences. And we actually came up with very, very simple, um, simple solutions to to uh, the the production problems. That actually, gave a lot of production value. So we we did all the driving for real, yeah. um, and um, um, the way we achieved it to make, you know. It, it, so Richard Madden is uh, the main character. He plays the driver. And then um, Michael Smiley plays the navigator in this story. And um, all of the, throughout the whole piece um, and throughout filming, it would always be David Higgins um, doing the stunt driving. And what we would do is we'd have each actor in the passenger seat and we'd, um, we'd start with Michael Smiley's character and he would, you know, we'd have two cameras set up on the passenger seat and he would act and say his lines towards David Higgins as if it was Richard Madden's character. Right. And we'd, we'd film all of that coverage and then we'd stop, um, take Michael Smiley out and put uh, Richard Madden in the same seat but with a, a fake steering wheel yeah. attached. And he had a, a separate race suit and a separate helmet that had uh, all of his logos and things like this right. um, back to front and then and then he would act towards david higgins as as if he was michael smiley and then basically in the edit we would just flip uh or flip or flop i forget which one it is but uh, flop (laughs) flop flop i think uh uh, richard's um uh shots yeah and it looks like and it looks like he sat in the uh in the driving seat so once the car starts moving you never actually see any two shots of them in the car because they're actually never in the car at the same time right so that was actually a very you know a very cheap way of um you know rather than using green screen or, mm. or, or or kind of more um more kind of uh, technical options plus it was it was good for the actors as well because when you're you know they were driving at full rally speeds through these uh, forests and um you can't you can't quite replicate uh, <laughs> that fear in in their eyes when they're when they're doing it so. very uh, yeah it's very clever um what kind of stories are you attracted to um i like so so with all of the shorts i did i Mm. they're all i guess they're all different genres you know uh, um, sort of a a sports film a a horror film and then i guess slap was more of a straight drama i guess Mm. um so I, i i really like the idea of being in different genres and stuff like that but i like to think there's a an emotional element to all of the stories um, that is, and and that kind of follows through into Calm with Horses as well. Yeah. I feel like I like to find stories that have, um, I guess the things I'm always looking out for is tension and emotion. Okay. And I like, I like, I like always um, that blend of blend of tension and, and all, but you know, I like to embrace, um, feeling and i like i like having a good cry in the cinema so i was trying i guess that, that, that that's what i feel like i definitely operate on a as a filmmaker i i operate on a more of an emotional level rather than an intellectual level everything for me is about do i feel something for this character yeah and um what am i feeling right now that's um that's usually what i'm looking for i guess so and you know when it came to calm with horses yeah um 
uh, I remember reading the short story and it just felt it, it was such a rich mix of, of all of these things. There was, you know, it was a very dark story and there was, there was, it was scary and tense, but there was also a huge amount of heart and humanity in it and dark humor. And, um, um, it felt like it was a really, really interesting kind of blend of things to be playing with. And how, how did it land on your lap or how did it come to you? Um, it was interesting actually. So I, so at the time I was doing group B, um, my rally driving short. Um, well, so as as I said, I was kind of going through this process of, um, you know, trying to, trying to write and be inspired for, for a short story. And I felt like I was doing a lot of bad writing. So, um, um, I was, I was, I decided to just read as many short stories as I could at the time to sort of get my head around short form stories and um and came across um you know uh, young skins colin barrett's collection i think it had just come out that week and i saw a review of it in the in the guardian newspaper yeah and um and got it and read it really you know really really fast which is is uh, rare for me because i'm quite badly dyslexic Um, so that's always a good good first (laughs) sign and i just uh, it just felt very cinematic to me um and um, I'd, I'd, Dan Emerson, the producer of the film, I'd met um, a few months before, and he, at the time he was an assistant at Working Title. Okay. And we'd met up, and we both, you know, he wanted to produce a movie, and I wanted to direct a movie, but neither of us were sure how to go about it at that yeah. point. And um, I sent, I sent the the collection of short stories to him and said, I wonder if we could option this, and I wonder if Palm with Horses might make a good. Um, first film for us to do um so he started looking into the rights um and then and then it got to the point where i was trying to get richard madden and michael smiley to be in in group b so i was having a a meeting with their agent called conor mccahan um at troika talent agency in london um and i was uh you know trying to um convince him to allow me to work with his actors and put them in these rally cars um um, and during during that meeting he said what do you want to do next um and i said well it's funny you should say that i've just found this story called calm with horses that i really felt connected to um and it just so happened that he was connor was looking to option the story himself for michael fassbender's company dmc um so it was this serendipitous moment um and connor said well you know why don't you why don't we option it at dmc and then you come and um direct it and dan come and produce it and now you know that's um that was 20 yeah around 2015 okay um so it was a sort of lucky yeah a lucky uh moment so it wasn't a case that say after going to sundance you weren't getting all these offers or or were you i think um I definitely there was yeah there were, I was building up connections mm. and um, but you I, it wasn't I, I you know at that point it's not like people were sending me particularly great scripts right. um, it was more what do you want to do and and um, and can we help and it, yeah and it just so happened that I mean I wasn't even that I, I had I didn't put a huge amount of thought into you know is this the right debut film for me or is this yeah is this the right story to tell i just it 
I just really enjoyed, I felt connected to the story. And then um, when this moment of serendipity happened with, with DMC and, um, and with Dan, it, it just felt, you know, I'm not, I'm not a particularly sort of um, superstitious person or anything like that, but it just felt like the universe was pointing me in that direction. So I thought I'd just sort of go with the current, I guess. And, um, uh, film four were, um, good enough to come on board and, and help us develop the story into, um, into the script and Joe Murta, who I did all of my shorts with, um, he wrote all of the shorts. Um, we were able to get him to come on board as well. And that made perfect sense as well, because Joe's whole family is from Mayo and, um, and, uh, he, his, his writing, you know, naturally has a sort of a, a sensibility that, that matches quite well with Colin's mm. right, uh, you know, writing. So it all, everything just kind of fitted together nicely and it just, uh, made sense. And, had you been to Ireland or what <laughs> did you how did you kind of research this setting so yeah I mean when so I uh, when I first read I, I grew up partly on the northeast coast of Scotland actually in okay. a very small in a small fishing town yeah. and there was a lot of when I was reading the collection I felt a lot of similarities with the town yeah. that I was living in in Scotland and this the kind of small uh, kind of isolated town and, and and i felt like i'd met some of the characters that i i saw in this book and um but i hadn't spent a huge amount of time in ireland i'd, I'd directed some episodes of ripper street so i'd lived in dublin for a while okay. i hadn't i hadn't really been out to the west um my father's northern irish um, yeah. um but it was uh yeah that was uh for me it was uh, there was there the world was very specific and very specifically, you know, it, it's so rooted in the West of Ireland, but I felt um, there's a universal quality to a lot, to the emotional heart of the story. And that's yes. the thing that drew me in. And um, Obviously I felt, you know, we all felt a huge responsibility to make, you know, it's a very Irish story. So making it as authentic as possible was a huge, a huge priority for me. Uh, well, yeah, congrats. Uh, you really achieved that. Um, and your the casting was spectacular. Uh, maybe just talk about the casting process and then maybe just a little bit generally about how you approach working with actors. Yeah, I mean, we were so lucky to get the cast um, that we did. It's a real amazing ensemble. Um, Shaheen Beg, the casting director, um, put together. Um, it was you know it's a lot of it's not the easiest film um to cast um cosmo jarvis who plays arm um on paper as a character he's not instantly likable i guess so that was my the main priority when we went into the casting um was how do we, we need to find someone who's going to bring a lot of humanity um and really understand the the emotional spine of this character um you could there's a version of arm that could be too much of an alpha male i guess um, yeah. and he and he needed um it was about finding that that balance of brutality but um that and sensitivity sort of fighting against, fighting against each other yeah um it's almost when you're watching it's almost he, he it's like you can't blame him completely even though he does brutal things it feels 
it, you don't you don't hate him you don't you know you almost don't blame him for it yeah and i think you know it's it's it was a really you know what cosmo does i think his performance is it really is um pretty special and often he's not you know um as a character he's not necessarily driving the scene forward because you know he's the he works as the the enforcer for this family so often he's he's not the one calling the shots it's barry kirgan's um character so uh cosmo manages to do so much uh, even when he's doing so little or saying very little um so it's a very it's a very physical performance and a very emotional performance um so that i mean it, it we were so lucky to um to have cosmo and obviously he's not um he's not irish he's he comes from devon in england so um it was that felt like a risk like i say mm. we wanted it to be it, it felt so important to to be authentic with the story um but it was it was pretty clear straight away that um cosmo was going to put the work in and do the research and he really immersed himself in um in the world um he 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 moved out to um Lockray, um and spent a lot of time in Galway as well and he just was there for weeks um honing the accent and he he just became this local guy in the town that pe- no one realized that he was english he was just oh, really? this uh, this uh, kind of mysterious stranger that suddenly uh, popped up and he was uh, he sort of uh, really immersed himself um, i was going to ask if he had a dialect coach or anything like that because it's a really tricky accent even there'd be a lot of irish people who can't do that it's one of the more slippery accents but he <laughs> he, uh, he nailed it so that was was that just all him yeah he had a so uh, paddock Cox was um uh, his dialect coach okay. and you know, aside from being a, a wonderfully lovely man, he was also did amazing work with with Cosmo, um, and they was yeah it was so detailed and it was always um, there were points where the accent became so so good and so authentic and so thick that um, sometimes I would struggle to understand it myself. Yeah. So there was always that balance of you know making sure it worked for an international audience as well as a local audience and. Um, I like to think we, you know, we sort of got the balance of that um, uh, fairly, fairly good at least. Um, and how do you work, do you do rehearsals? We, uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't. I think we had we had a few days of rehearsals. It's always difficult to kind of get it to get any rehearsals um, for anything, especially a low budget film. Yeah. But what was great is because Cosmo was so. Um, invested he was with us for like i say for, for for many weeks so through a lot of the casting process cosmo would be there um so we were always finding opportunities to kind of rehearse as we went along um, um so yeah it was i mean we i would say barry is probably the first person we cast um we wanted him from very early on in the scripting process yeah. he's such an amazing talent and um we were, you know everyone was excited at the idea of what he might be able to do um uh, with a role like this you know yeah um so you know i i remember being very nervous uh flying out to vi- go visit him um in ireland and 
we went for a few Guinness and I tried to sort of <laughs> uh, cajole him into uh, uh, being in the story. But, he, you know, luckily he really fell in love with the script and um, uh, we were very lucky to get, get him on board. And then, um, you know, also incredibly lucky to find Neve Algar and yeah. especially when she's, ha- you know, she's having such a uh, accelerated rise to um, stardom and world domination. And it's nice to be, <laughs> it's nice to be part of uh, uh, that, you know, to have come with horses be part of that um, rise, you know. Yeah. She's just um, stunningly talented um, and so hardworking, so professional, and um, just the chemistry between uh, between Cosmo and Neeg was was wonderful. And what I thought was brilliant about her, especially in the you know the early auditions, I I saw it. She brought she was able to bring a lot of history to the relationship. So whenever you, you see them together, mm. you really feel the kind of the, the ghosts or the echoes of a life that they used to have together. And she kind of, she did a very, she was very clever in the way she, she brought that familiarity, um, um, that kind of lost familiarity in a way to, yeah. the, to the performance. Um, and she really became, you know, her character is the heartbeat um, of the movie and the soul of the movie in a way. Um, and then, you know, it goes beyond even, even to, you know, we have the uncles, we have Ned Dennehy and David Wilmot who are fantastically scary. And then, you know, um, but there's a complexity, even they're not just bad guys there. There's, there's humor and there's sadness in in both those characters. Well, we kind of, when we were, we, every character is sort of trapped in their own way in the story. Mm. And that's sort of the tragedy of it. Um, and there's this kind of toxic codependence that kind of, um, is eating, eating all of them, you know, arm and barrier, uh, sorry, uh, arm and Dimpner, mm. uh, the main characters, you know, they're, they're best friends, but also Dimpner manipulates and uses arm and, um, it's like um, a bad relationship. Yeah, and you know it's the same with the uncles. Um, you know, Hector wants to get away from Pordy, and then you have um, Ursula who wants a, a, a better life for her son Jack, and and Arm is sort of for the, selfishly wants them to stay part of their lives for his own benefit, not necessarily theirs. So mm. they're kind of they're all trapped by each other in in, in, in a funny way. Um, and then you have people like you know Ryan McParland, who's only in a couple of brief scenes but he you know he really steals them and and uh, people really respond to his character so I, th- I think throughout the whole film there's no real uh, weak link in the in the cast um Liam Carney as well it's just it's we're so you know especially for a debut film in a small film like this to have the level of acting talent um really make you know it makes my life a lot easier at yeah least. and um yeah, I mean, it's not an easy thing. I'm, I'm guessing to, especially for your first feature, you're kind of fish out of water a little bit. Um, so how, how was the experience for you sh- shooting in Ireland? It was great. I mean, everyone everyone uh, warned us that if we shoot in the west of Ireland, the weather will be horrendous mm. and uh, changing every two minutes and, and everything. But actually, we, we had a nice heat wave for the whole shoot, which was, um, which was very lucky. Really? And, um, everyone, yeah, everyone was everyone was so um helpful and happy happy to see us filming there which is you know i'd just come from 
filming um, a TV show in London and it was the opposite. It was very difficult to shoot anywhere. And um, um, so it was, no, it was a complete joy. Um, And I had to, you know, I did have to rely on the cast and the, and the local crew, um, you know, to help me make it authentic. You know, I was, you know, like I say, it was, I'm not from, I'm not from the West of Ireland. Mm. So, uh, um, it was, uh, it was, you know, important to kind of, um, surround myself with as many people that were as possible. Yeah. And, um, going into the edit, uh, sometimes I was talking to other filmmakers that sometimes the the jump from going from a short to a feature is actually you have more time in a feature and it's actually a little bit more relaxed or how did you find it? (laughs) I can't say it was relaxing maybe (laughs) that was just that was just the pressure I think yeah it was interesting it was actually it was an, it was quite a difficult film to edit. Um, right. it, you know, it's the story is very classical and, and in a way there's a simplicity to it, which I really love, but, mm. um, there was a lot of tonally, it's actually very complex. It's kind of got elements of family, emotional family drama. And then it's got elements of tense crime thriller. Um, and then it has some, yeah, some more kind of eccentric comedic, uh, beats to the story. So trying to, trying to find a, a language to the story and the rhythm to the edit, which kind of allows you to go into all these different spaces while still feeling like you're in one whole story, I yeah. guess, was the, was the challenge of the edit. And also the, the challenge of, of shooting it as well. And, you know, it's partly, you know, Piers McGrail, the cinematographer, did such a great job um, shooting the film. And we tried to keep the story fixed to arm's point of view as much as possible. Um, There's a few times where we break that rule. Um, It's a bit like, you know, the the Hitchcock um, story about, you know, sometimes you have to show the bomb under the table to generate the tension. You know, there's a few, a few places where we have to be slightly ahead of uh, the character of arm just so we can fear for him. Um, But in in general, that's what we tried to do. Um, And then, you know, with a character that's sometimes not saying that much, we, you know, we'd use a lot of sound design and, and music to try and articulate his inner world as much as possible. Yeah. Well, that's something that seems to be common in your films is this kind of, I get this sense of kind of world building and, you know, you're, it's kind of immersive. Um, in each of your films, I feel like they're I just, the worlds feel very authentic. How do you, go about achieving that um i guess it's all it all comes from choosing the point of view of the story really i i think i tend to i tend to like to be to feel like i'm in someone's shoes rather than watching observing someone i guess right so i like to as much as possible get into someone's head um and i think the more subjective you can make the story the more uh, expressionistic you can be with things like sound design and music and um, you know the way you shoot it I think um, it allows you to be it allows you to be slightly more playful and creative with with some of the techniques you use um, 
so there's a, you know for example there's a scene in calm with horses that takes place in a nightclub and um we had a lot of fun constructing that scene because that we have a the club music that is playing in the the actual scene the music that all the people in the club are dancing to yeah it also it was written specifically for that scene and what and what um ben the composer was able to do is he was able to write sort of develop the track so it reacts and changes depending on the drama in the scene and what what arm is feeling so it's sort of doing the job of being the diegetic music of the scene but it also does the work of more traditional music score as well and it sort of um it was a lot of fun to kind of use the use those techniques i guess um and along with Mattis Ray, who's the sound designer, you know, they, yeah. they work t- incredibly close together and, and it's amazing what sound can do. You know, everyone, you know, everyone always says sound is 50% of a film and no matter how, how often you remind yourself of that, it's still surprising at how much of a leap a film can take, um, after you get to the sound design stage, especially, yeah. you know, there's a, we have a little car chase in the film as well. And, um, you know, we, we shot the, the, that scene in one day, uh, obviously, you know, it's very, very difficult to do on a practical level with our, our level of budget. Mm. And it's amazing what, how much of that scene, uh, and the success of that scene is down not only to obviously the, the cinematography and the acting, but also, um, the sound design is doing a huge amount of work, um, to, to sell that scene and to keep it exciting. And yeah, uh, kudos on that. The music uh, is really strong. How, how do you work with a composer? Do you tend to do you try tracks in the edit and then send, or is it more? Uh, do, you, uh, do you, how how much do you just let the composer go and do their thing? I think it depends from project to project, really. Um, so, like I say, with with this story in particular. Um, the music had to be very precisely aligned to the edit um, because, as I say, so often the music would be telling us or giving us access to arms in a world um, or would be reacting to specific beats in the scene and things like that. So, um, But it was a real, like, you know, working, you know, blank mass... Um, you know his his score it's actually his first um movie score that he's done okay um and it was it was such a it was one of the my favorite parts of the process really and especially because he works so closely with mattis the sound designer as well it it really um um, it all felt very harmonious and i guess we wanted we wanted the score to be to stand out in a good way to be memorable um, and for there to be, the, you know, themes that sort of follow characters around, or themes that we um, that reoccur, that kind of high, you know, link scenes together, or link motivations together, or um, character beats and things like that. So um, it was, uh, yeah, it was very. It was a really sort of. Um, it felt very. I guess when you get to the sound stage, it's. Um, you, you feel a little bit freer um, by that point once the edit's locked and stuff like that. So it's kind of 
we're free to sort of be be a bit more crazy with our ideas and things like that but um yeah we kind of it felt like we in terms of the sound and the music we tried to focus more on on creating finding the tone of the original story and the sort of slight 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 emotional melancholic kind of edge to the story um and we didn't feel we needed to for the we didn't feel the music needed to sort of sell a sense of place or anything like that because we felt like we were doing that with the locations and with the actors but it already had a a good sense of a good sense of place so the music could fully focus on the emotional side of the story yeah um and so the release in terms of so far what has the journey been like uh where did you premiere what was your festival run like um yeah so we premiered at uh tiff in toronto um last september um uh which was you know terrifying <laughs> it's my you know, yeah uh, i kind Huge of screen. i can I can sort of, yeah, I can, I can appreciate it or enjoy it in hindsight, but I spent most of my time being completely terrified. Um, uh, you know, it's my, you know, the first time you have people reviewing your work and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we, then we went to Busan in South Korea, which was great fun. And then, uh, London film festival. So we've done, done a few, a few, um, festivals here and there and then we're finishing off in dublin um uh before the general release on the 13th of march great and you'll be coming over to do a little q a yes yeah we'll we'll be there for the festival as will um the cast um and the production crew and and uh, michael fassbender and the, the whole gang's going to be there so it'll be a nice a nice celebration and a nice launch for the film and um i hope i hope it goes down well brilliant uh a question we always ask our filmmakers um if you could talk to your younger self or the uh the nick that was just getting into film is there any piece of advice that you would give them i think yeah i think when you're when you set out to become a filmmaker or or you know do anything like that i think it's a lot of people will remind you of the statistics or how difficult things are or um, how impossible it may seem. Um, And I think it's just important in a way to ignore all that and just focus on yourself and your own learning. Um, And if you just keep learning every day, at some point you'll get to a point where you know enough that someone will want to hire you, I guess. Um, but yeah, sometimes people ask me, well, you know, should I be networking or should I be, how do I meet the right people or how do I, you know, how do I get commissioned and things like that? I think, I think really the only thing you need to do is focus on, on the craft and, and getting better at whatever it is you want to do, if it's writing or directing or you know, being a cinematographer or editor or whatever. Yeah. Just keep practicing and just keep trying to you know accept that you're not good and that you need to get better and yeah. that you know at some point if you keep that um humility and you keep that focus on on self-improvement and learning at some point you know people will start coming to you because you'll have something to offer them um i think that's 
that's probably the best advice I could give myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And I'm still, I still follow it because I still have a lot to learn. And, yeah. uh, I've, I made a lot of mistakes, um, which I'm now ready to put into the next film and then I'll make a whole load of new, new mistakes and then I'll yeah. put that into the one after that. And, um, at some point, um, and what, yeah. uh, what, and I know, um, can you give us any indication of what's next or what, what are you looking at at the moment? So, uh, yeah, so my next film is going to be, um, a rally driving movie. Great. So that's, um, that's what I'm, I'm just starting to write at the moment. Cool. Um, so that's coming next yeah brilliant brilliant um well congrats on the film uh really well done i, I loved it uh, so best of luck with everything it's an absolute pleasure talking to you well, thank you so much thanks for having me and um, yeah thank you